Hello, welcome to Culture Fear. 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 Absolute Fear. That song does my head in, but let's put that to one side, shall we? Hey, welcome to Culture Fit. If this is your first one, this is a podcast that I do where I kind of talk to people that I think have got incredible stories to tell about their experiences of, in, um, within uh, subcultures and cultures and how that kind of informs maybe who those people are at the moment or just like cool stories from that time or uh, maybe less cool stories that we can learn from or both, things like that. So yeah, in the last, since the last episode, I've moved to Sheffield, started university um, great to be in a new city. Um, already um, have friends here, which is amazing. Donna, um, who I talked to on this episode, being one of them. Um, more about her in a minute, but yeah, amazing to be in another city full of like cool, inspiring, proactive people. So I'm sure that you'll be hearing um, from them on this podcast soon. Um, yeah, it's nice. Um, moved into a really nice house. Um, got all my records um, alphabetized, which took a good few hours, but was really, um, really nice, almost mindful in a way. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and um, yeah. So this one's thirteen. Thanks. Um, th- there's been a few people actually, um, a few old friends and stuff that I haven't seen for a little while, I guess, who um, I, I bumped into, um, and they've. Um, said they've been listening to the podcast and enjoyed it which is great and even said that they've been listening to, they've like since gone on to listen to episodes where they don't necessarily know much or anything about the guests and have enjoyed that that is amazing um yeah you don't have to tell me if you enjoy this um but if you do it is cool um yeah and um yeah thank you for listening please tell your friends if you if you think that they'll enjoy it um i don't know rate it review it retweet it stuff like that um but yeah cool um so this episode is with um, my good friend donna uh i guess she's played in um a few punk bands over the years knack texan probably being the last one well it is being the last one um who played around the uk and europe quite a bit so you might have seen them um amazing band um i guess i know donna just through like um playing shows in Sheffield and then obviously like friends that we're away with no Donna so we ended up staying at her house stuff like that did actually did a Stone Roses cover set with her she was Ian I was Manny um yeah and it was really nice to sit down and talk to her learn more about stuff that I didn't know about her and like delve into a little bit more about things that I'd never really had like massive conversations about so that was really fun. Um, went over to her house and recorded it. Unfortunately, I recorded it with one stem rather than two. So it might sound a bit, it might not sound perfect. Um, yeah, which is my bad. And, you know, I'll learn from that. Won't do that again. Um, big shout out to Liam who mixes and edits this podcast. Um, this will be the first one since I've moved away. And he does that now like independently from me rather than me like going 
into where he does it and buying him a pizza. He's doing that all by himself and that is really amazing. So thank you, Liam. Um, yeah, as I always say at the end, like check out the stuff he's doing. Um, he's at Liam C Audio on Twitter. Um, yeah, his job is basically like recording podcasts, interviews. Um, he also um, does records like bands and stuff. Definitely worth checking out his stuff. He's great. So thank you, Liam. Um, yeah, so that kind of that's everything really. Get in touch if um, don't know you want to ask any questions or or anything like that. Um, hope you enjoy this one. Take care of yourself. Bye. Hello. Hello. How you doing, Donna? Pretty good, thanks. Yeah, just uh, settling into autumn, you know. Yeah. Um, what 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 you been up to? Uh, I've started a new job. Uh, got got married. Went on a honeymoon. Crazy shit that I never thought I'd ever do, but yeah, have yeah, done. Yeah, how it's was your honeymoon? Right. What'd you go up to? Amazing. Went to California. It's beautiful. Um, loads of driving, but the desert was absolutely incredible. Like like nothing I've ever seen, and the sunsets were unreal. So that was one of the best bits. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And then uh, back back here to your new job. New job. Hard work. What what, what is it that you do? I'm a an assistant head teacher in a secondary school teaching geography and RS and looking after teaching and learning so I can make sure that the future generations that we know that we're responsible for are well educated and pretty right on human beings cool cool (laughs) is that more a difficulty because of the the kids or uh, the powers that be do you think um the kids are ace I think the educational system's a bit of a mess um I'd like to change a lot, but yeah, it's hard, I guess, when you're one person. But I guess it's about being being good when you're in your job and making sure that you're kind of showing them that there is an alternative to the grind of daily life, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, how was your experience at school? Um, interesting one. Um, for me, school was ace, like... Yeah. I absolutely loved it. It was one of the, probably the most important things in my life at that time because my home life wasn't good. Okay. So um came from a pretty kind of upsetting home life where there was a lot of abuse and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So when I went to school, it's kind of the place where I could make sure that I was safe. Yeah. And I could, like, practice my creativity and which was what got me through my childhood, I think. It was like drawing and painting and singing and yeah. stuff like that, and I used to love it, and I could do that all the time in school, so it meant that it was like a real haven for me, and I really liked my teachers, and you know, I wasn't ever in trouble or anything like that, but you can imagine school's really hard if you're always in trouble or <laughs> if you kind of find it really hard to accept just pointless rules all the time yeah, yeah. <laughs> um some of the rules are a bit weird aren't they it's like <laughs> they do kind of suppress kids a little bit in a way but it's a weird one isn't it like education's so amazing but i think the way that we educate kids now is like so narrow yeah yeah and based around certain requirements of you know preparing children for the workplace and I think it's a real shame that we aren't using education in a better way. Yeah, especially when um, we're not really... I don't think that education is um, 
like the education system in Britain is 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 maybe preparing for a workplace, but not a workplace that there's going to be in thirty years time because no, not at it, all. they're not looking into right. This is probably what the future is going to be. Let's mm. get them into these kind of things. It's, it doesn't change fast enough, does it? And I guess what the Conservatives have done in a kind of really negative way is actually put education back. Let's say. 50 years or something so the progress that kind of was made has kind of been set back you know with you studying history now yeah yeah you know kings and queens and stuff like that <laughs> all the traditional yeah all the really traditional history the history um curriculum's pretty crazy now in terms of yeah. memory and how you know testing memory and stuff isn't really a good test is it yeah, dates aren't necessarily yeah, yeah. history. Um, yeah, it's like, I mean, there is high level evaluation and stuff as you get into GCSE and things like that. But I don't know, all the interesting stuff, I think, has been kind of weeded out a little bit, which yeah. is a huge shame. I think anything that encourages, encourages radicalism has kind of been put on the back burner and not really encouraged, which is a shame. Yeah. Which is why we need rad teachers in. Yeah, yeah, especially when... Um like when that happens, it means that when there are things that are deemed radical in schools, they're not. They're not really. They're not radical. Yeah, well, they're not radical enough. Like, yeah, so yeah, and then it need... changes what the word radical means in like an educational system. Yeah, pushes it down and yeah suppresses it a bit. I think there's loads of good stuff you can do if you're a teacher who means well and really has the kids' best interest at heart. That's not just based around teaching them a certain specification. You know, there's like Leading by example, teaching morality, teaching ethics, philosophy. Caring about children. Caring about children, actually caring about them. Yeah, taking an interest in them. Yeah. Um, I remember um, well, at my job, we had uh, the head teacher just before the start of term, she was talking about, and she was, um, you know, in a city London school. She was like, you know, um, these children, they don't have the same culture as us. We can't expect them to, you know, like go to theatres and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, in a way that it was where I felt like, well, I need... To, they're not here to embrace my culture. Mm -hmm. I'm here to embrace theirs and mm -hmm. to try and push it into... And, you know, because obviously culture is an amazing thing. Yeah. And just because, and obviously my culture isn't going like the same as that head teacher's anyway. But um, I just thought that's such a s strange way of looking at how these children, like mm. these children should. Yeah, it's an interesting one, the culture thing. Because, yeah, you're right, cultures change and actually their culture will be very different. However, there is this kind of thing where, you know, in more kind of middle class areas, you know, students are more likely to do well in exams, etc., because they kind of taught this cultural capital from their parents from a really young age. So it's yeah. like just simple things that you kind of take for granted, like they're more likely to have like conversations around the dinner table about various things to do with the arts or politics or whatever. Whereas I guess like some pupils from the area that I'm from, they don't tend to have those kind of conversations as much. And so as teachers, we're expected to kind of get them to the same kind of cultural capital level as these kids who come from more middle-class backgrounds. Yeah. But then it's like, well, it's completely insignificant to them if there's, you know, whether, whether you know, I don't know, this thing at the theatre is happening or, you know, why, I don't know, why this artist chose to do what they, what they did. I feel like it's almost like a... We have to get them to a certain level just to be able to access the curriculum. Yeah. Which is crazy. So they're kind of at a disadvantage already. A lot of these kids who kind of come from 
maybe you know more kind of deprived economic areas where perhaps parents are working a lot more haven't got yeah. enough time to kind of sit down and have conversations with children and i don't think it's necessarily that parents don't necessarily want to have those conversations but it's also kind of like a lack of confidence in your oracy your ability to be able to communicate verbally and that kind of thing it all comes from that doesn't it yeah yeah and then it obviously it's just perpet- it just yeah it continues to of, yeah it's an interesting one yeah i mean i'm sure like yeah i mean i can only talk about well just talk about my experiences that mm. that um not feeling like you know, you feel like you've got it in your head, but mm. you don't know how to say you it. You don't know how to verbalise it. And I think that's one thing that I've... It's actually one of the things that I've got to do in school this year is try to help pupils understand how to communicate things verbally a lot better yeah. and reduce the gap between, I guess, class classes in a way, because I think it is tends to be the more middle-class people that tend to have these conversations a lot more. And may not have had the been having these conversations for a young age, so yeah, it's an interesting one. And I get what you th- what you're saying about class totally, but yeah, you feel almost like who am I to try and give them this cultural capital if that thing really exists, you know? <laughs> um, so you do feel a little bit hypocritical. It's a funny one, the educational system, isn't it? It's like you want to make an impact, you want to be positive, but then you're deeply, deeply critical of it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, it's an incredibly difficult mm. job. Um, yeah, it's like pulling yeah pulling you in two directions at the yeah. same time. But I mean, yeah, like I said, you know, I loved school, and it's yeah. I guess it was for me. It was kind of an escape from the home life that wasn't so pleasant, um, and a place where I felt like I was actually really doing well. So I guess if you're told all the time by your teachers, "Oh, you're doing really, really well," then you've got that encouragement. But it's yeah, it's hard for those kids who just can't behave and find it really, really hard to fit into that system. And when you've got an academic system as well, and you're not an academic person, yeah, then essentially you know straight away you're going to feel like you're a bit of a failure, which again limits yeah. limits your ability to be able to to access yeah academia. So um, whereabouts did you did you grow up? You grew up in Wales, am I right? Yeah, the very far north on Anglesey. Okay. A little island, very pretty little island next to the sea. Um, but yeah, and then I moved when I was eighteen to Manchester, which was a huge kind of shift in how I viewed the world because I didn't really realise it was so massive. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this so this island that you live how mm-hmm. how big how many people live on the island? Um, like twenty thousand. So it's not a tiny island, but it's but a lot smaller than Manchester. Yeah. And yeah. A lot small, mate, and smaller than the university you went to, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Going to Manchester University was was really really interesting for me. I loved it, but it was a big big culture shock going from somewhere so quiet and rural always having to escape but actually realizing that one of the main things that you did love about the place you live was the countryside and how beautiful it was and then going to Manchester which was a stark contrast with it being grey a lot and you know obviously the world of Smith's lyrics (laughs) kind of uh, makes you realize oh god I do miss that beauty and do I was raised by my grandmother I really miss my grandmother a lot but you know, it was ace to be able to live in Manchester for four years. Yeah. And um, what did you... So what were you like before you went to Manchester? What were, So obviously you love school. Yeah, and loved tried, school. And wanted to always do your best at school. Yeah, I wanted to do my best in school for sure. I loved, loved 
um, every element of school. I loved art and I loved music and everything like that. So I guess. So like what kind I of music could you were you like exposed to living on the school island? Oh, it was were? really hard living on Anglesey actually because. Um, there weren't many people who were into the same kind of music as me. And the internet wasn't really a thing on, on Anglesey at that time. It had probably just about come in, but I didn't have the internet at home yeah. or anything. I think we had a couple of computers in school. Um, so getting into, I guess, alternative music and such, when you're living on Anglesey with very few friends who like similar things, was quite tough. So we used to get on the train a lot and go to Manchester and Leeds. Oh, okay. Liverpool, and just go to a record shops basically, and just pick up, pick up zines and things like that. And yeah. out of step records in Leeds was big for me at the time, and I used to get zines from there. And what kind of music was it? That it was a lot of um, a lot of metal and punk. Yeah. Um, and I think probably when I was kind of getting to my eighteenth year, that was kind of when I discovered. Discord records, and that's when it all went downhill, I guess. Joking. <laughs> Uphill. Um, but yeah, <laughs> discovering discovering Discord was probably really important for me, and I just kind of, you know how you do when you get into new records and you find a band and then you're like, right, I want everything off this label now. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't all as, as kind of awesome as Discord. As, as I look back on Discord now, it was also like a lot of Deep Elm records, you know, like... yeah very kind of early emo and things like that. Yeah. Loved all that kind of stuff, you know, and then that continued as well. Um, but, yeah, a lot of that kind of thing, really. But I loved art, the driving and things like that and yeah. kind of a lot more post-punky stuff. And um, So how did you... Um, so you were always into music, like you said. Like yeah, singing it was, was, like, it was one of my main escapes, yeah. Yeah. So when, um, when did you go from, like loving music to I guess kind of finding like sub like more of a subculture kind of music I think what it was um I moved schools I was in a school called Amluch and then I moved to one in Menai Bridge to do my A-levels because they hadn't offered the A-levels I wanted my previous school and there were some Gribos okay at the school that I moved to and they were into like no effects and stuff like that yeah and Green Day and things, you know, and I, I'd been into that stuff as well. Was this about the time when that stuff was really, like, kicking off? Yeah, yeah, I stuff? think maybe slightly after it was mainly yeah. kicking off, so maybe I was a bit late to the party, but it was kind of a gateway drug for me to get into kind of more, kind of, not necessarily heavier stuff, but, yeah, kind of more kind of wormhole kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, but I was really into metal as well, and I don't think my love of metal has ever really gone. Yeah. Um, so, but that was like a bit, you know, kind of cheesier, like Deftones and things like that to start with. Yeah. Um, but always in, been into like things like, um, you know, Metallica and things like that. Yeah. Um, so you'd so you would you be able to so you'd go over to Leeds, Manchester, see these yeah. see bands every now and again. Yeah. See bands, pick up records, um, pick up zines. Um, I feel like the zines were really important at the time and just reading about what other people would be recommending yeah, and then picking them up when I was in these record shops. Piccadilly Records was somewhere that I used to go quite a lot because they had, I was really into the Manchester music scene as well um, when I was in school. So like the Smiths and things like that, just picking up, yeah, you know, things, you know, oh, this guy played in this band or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you kind of get into it like that, don't you? Yeah. But it was, 
it was one of the reasons I moved to Manchester because I really wanted to be where the Smiths were and kind of experience it from that perspective. Yeah. And I think my love of the Smiths hasn't ever really gone. I'm sure that it's um, as much as they've tried. Yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> to get rid Bloody of Bloody Morrissey, <laughs> you absolute <laughs> idiot. Yeah, it's kind of like that kind of, it's shameful now, isn't it? It's kind of shameful to still like the Smiths, but I guess you can disassociate the Smiths from Morrissey a bit. Because uh, yeah, at I least mean, Johnny Marr's still awesome. Well, yeah, he's like, I feel... Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, I guess like, like if you're right mm. on, it's less yeah. less talked about. Yeah, like, it is wild that um, like I'd yeah like for for every quote that Morrissey comes out with every yeah. year that you think oh he's just getting worse. Johnny Marr seems to come out with stuff where you're like oh he's like he's getting like really cooler. cool. Yeah, <laughs> interestingly in Bangor, North Wales, like near near Anglesey, the closest city. Excuse me. Um, there's there was apparently, and I've never read about this. You know, other than um, the original bass player, there was another bass player as well. Okay. Whether before or after him, I think after when he left. And he now, this second bass player, has opened up a vegan restaurant in Bangor. How cool is that? (laughs) Yeah. So he's like this, like, gourmet vegan chef and he's opened up this rad restaurant. I've not been yet, but I really want to go and have a look. Sounds awesome. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I know. How cool is that? So, yeah, I want to go and check that out. Wow, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, um, I guess, like, finding Smith, the Smiths in, like, formative years of, like, getting into yeah. me, it's, it's a world that you can really, like... Oh, definitely. Get in, and especially if you're, like, um, you know, one of those people that, um, like you've said, you know, you get into something and you like to go deeper and deeper. Yeah. Like, even just with, like, his lyrics. But, like, yeah. the music that they like wore on their sleeve that they loved you know whether it's like mm. the bands around them at the time mm-hmm. or like Motown or like mm. like it's wherever you're coming from you can find like Johnny Marr probably talking about that kind of mu- like that music or yeah like, all his inspirations and stuff and I guess you can get into their inspirations and yeah I think that's don't you think that's something about getting into music? You just kind of want to know everything, everything about. Yeah. Oh, right, that person got into it through this band and this band. Yeah, t-shirts on. Yeah, like, yeah. That oh, wearing. look at that! That guy's got that t-shirt on. What's that one yeah. from? Yeah, yeah, Defo. But it's weird. Like, always found it really hard. Was always well into music and singing and stuff. Like Welsh folk music was kind of my main first introduction to music, and I was proper obsessed with it as a kid, and was singing in lots of folk groups and things like that. Yeah. Um, performing in Ice Deathwads and things. But um took me many, many, many years and it took me moving to Sheffield and being here for a good few years before I decided to be in a band. Yeah, that had never come as a teenager. No, it hadn't. And I think it was partly because I didn't... I kind of had never really succeeded in being any good at fiddle and had played it for a very long time but kind of wasn't very good at practising. used to get told off at home for practising, basically, and I'd be like, shut shut the fuck up with that fiddle kind of thing. (laughs) Doing me head in. Um, So I kind of didn't get very far with that and then I thought, oh, I can never play an instrument, but then realised actually it's so easy just to pick something up and play it. Um, So I think, yeah, it took, took a lot of confidence to do that um, but yeah, realise actually it's not that hard, is it? I Unless just, you want my, to sound like the Smiths, and then it's really yeah, hard. then it's really hard. But <laughs> my kind of motto in life is: if a dickhead can do it, then you can do it. So dickheads yeah. can do it. Go on, get on with it, kind of thing. It's the same with driving. 
you know, scared of driving for years, but dickheads can do it, so I had to go and it was fine. There you are, driving around driving town. Driving around town in my van. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, you, so you, you're in Manchester. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then, um, so how was going back to Anglesey after that? After being in Manchester, uh, quite funny, because um, I'd go back with a kind of sadness really because I, I wanted to stay there yeah. but at the same time it was kind of like I felt like I was too too big for Anglesey in a way not in a kind of big-headed way but just in a kind of oh there's all this cool stuff that no one will know about here that I can't talk to yeah, with anyone yeah. and remember my nan would always comment on my changing fashions quite a lot and be like well, what the hell is this that you're wearing now kind of thing you know because <laughs> I guess when you're going somewhere and you're kind of exposed to lots of different subcultures and things, and you're kind of really passionate about loads of them. Just grabbing kind of, it as yeah, much you of kind it of like you change your fashion quite a lot. I think earlier on, don't you? And I think over the years, I do tend to kind of like experiment a lot with things like that. Yeah. And I guess my nan would always be just like, "Oh, bloody hell, she's wearing this now," kind of thing, you know. And that was always quite interesting, <laughs> like viewing my nan's reactions to things. Yeah. Um, but Anglesey was, you know, I didn't go back a huge amount. But, yeah, it was always kind of a really important place and I've got a caravan there now that I go and stay in quite a bit. Cool. Yeah, so I can have a nice chill time there every now and again. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, once you get to Manchester, mm-hmm. what's the kind of... Um, like you said, you like, mm. like your subcultures and stuff. What kind of tribe did you like? Oh, when I first got to? there, it was like the kind of... I guess it was a kind of most... I think probably one of the most kind of amazing times for British hardcore. Yeah. So, you know, you had a lot of the Margate bands and that kind of thing. Yeah, because she had Dead and Gone just in Sheffield. Yeah, and Dead like. and Gone in Sheffield. So we used to come over to Sheffield quite a lot on for all days and things at the yeah. Royal Society of the Blind. And that was Ace Legacy and all those types of bands. That, but it was like all American Nightmare and things like that that you'd be really into. And Strike Anywhere were really big. And so it was kind of going to a lot of kind of hardcore all dayers and stuff and travelling down to Canterbury and Margate and yeah. those kind of places that you were just like, yeah, this is sick. Stoked on life in Mr. Corny Trainers. Yeah, you know, that it? kind on of thing. And yeah, on thin ice and Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, that was Ace. Um, you know, I was really into um, kind of still really into the kind of stuff that I was into before, like the Discord stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then um, were, you, were you straight edge at the time? I became straight edge when I was, it was my 19th birthday um, in Manchester. Because I was kind of missing home a lot, I kind of realised that I was drinking way too much and I woke up in kind of, you know, typical student story, woke up in a in a bath full of my own vomit one morning and I thought, yeah, that's it now. It was the day after my birthday. I was like, right, not doing it anymore. And I think I was straight for about maybe about eight or nine years. Yeah. Um, But I was never kind of super vociferous about being straight edge. It was kind of a... It was was important to me, definitely, at the time. But, yeah, I was never kind of a massive... I didn't exhort very often or anything like that. I just special occasions. Yeah, just special occasions. I think once when I went to see Earth Crisis, I did, just because well, that was, yeah. you know, you've got to, haven't you? Even if you're not straight edge, you've got to exhort. <laughs> 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 Otherwise, what's the point? Um, but, yeah, I think... Oh, actually, you know, the whole vegan metal, metal scene was important to me in Manchester as well. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. and, like, vegan music in general, I guess. Like, yeah, propaganda and stuff like that, that was massive for me at the time. Yeah, that's so the politics were important. Yeah, really important at the time. And were they important, like... Did you, like, would you look back now and say they were always important? Mm, no, was it... interestingly, the apoliticalness of a lot of that British hardcore scene was really annoying me at the time. Yeah. So I remember going down in the van with people who shall remain nameless who were just, like, the biggest misogynists. But it was all blokes that were going to these gigs, you know. It wasn't a huge amount. Of, there were girls, there were loads of girls, don't get yeah, me wrong. Yeah. But there weren't really any girls doing bands. And for some reason, the guys that I'd kind of hooked onto in Manchester were all men and they were the ones that were driving who had a van. And that was just like, it was kind of a bit of a punishing situation to be in, being in the van with those guys. Yeah. And that used to really upset me, but I was kind of very, I was really shy back then and really kind of scared of voicing my opinion. Um, but I don't know, I don't know how political the kind of hardcore scene was at the time. I remember wishing that it was more political and yeah. that people would take things more seriously. There was a small group of people that were, but not so many. Um, but I kind of got involved with... I guess I got into veganism through punk and hardcore, though. Yeah. And then kind of got then more into politics through that, okay. which is a kind of different way of getting into it, I guess. And then kind of joined... Ended up baking at this, like, uh, left-wing... Radical Social Centre, being their baker. Okay. Like just volunteering on a Wednesday and Thursday and then getting into more politics like that and then getting into activism, doing a lot of demos, organising a lot of stuff, um, you know, and just, yeah, generally just getting involved in more things in Manchester. But that took a couple of years because I was really low in confidence because I think going from Wales where, you know, you're, you haven't got many people there... Yeah. And you've got a small group of friends and then going to a massive city and then thinking, God, all of a sudden I'm not, you know, I don't know everything about this yeah, okay. place. Yeah, yeah. It's like a scary thing, isn't it? And I think I was lacking in confidence anyway. So I was kind of, so it did take me a couple of years to get kind of more confidence to go out to meetings and things like that. Yeah. But definitely early on, you know, the veganism was there, but I didn't really do much more than being vegan. But okay. then... As I got more and more into activism, I realised actually that was really important to me at the time. Did a lot of like various demos against Huntington Life Sciences and various campaigns like the Shack campaign against HLS and um, the, um, the guinea pig breeding place, did stuff against that. Like more direct action as well? or um, Just organising protests and yeah, demos yeah. and stuff like that basically. Um, and going, going on them, yeah. and supporting prisoners and doing fundraisers and raising money and doing bake sales and that kind of thing. Yeah. So that took up a lot of my time and a lot of my life, actually, even when I moved to Sheffield, set up Sheffield Animal Friends, and we kind of okay. had a really busy few years doing loads of animal rights stuff in Chef. Yeah. So that was important. Yeah. How come you moved to Chef? Um. My partner at the time was living in Sheffield and I wanted to do a PGCE and there was one in Sheffield that I could get on. Oh, amazing. So moved to Sheffield for that reason, but also wanted to set up something positive. So we set up Sheffield Animal Friends and that was that was an amazingly successful organisation for many, many years. And, you know, we used to do like really cool stuff, like 
on the weekend on a Sunday we'd have like fry ups we'd have like 30 people around the house to raise money for oh, various wow. organisations the SABs or whoever they might be um, we used to organise lots of demos lots of lots of socials um, information tables yeah you know days of action against various uh, companies and things it was really really busy but then I think you get a bit burnt out you get quite tired and I think I'd been teaching a few years and was still doing kind of the same amount of stuff that I was doing before and just realised I'm absolutely exhausted and it wasn't just me that was organising there was loads of people who were organising in Sheffield by the end of it but we all got a bit tired at the same time okay um, but luckily, people have taken over the baton in Sheffield, and Sheffield's absolutely amazing for veganism now. So it's like paid off eventually. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a proper little hub now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, so was that around the same time that you started doing, you said you did the vegan band, metal band? Oh, yeah. Um, so had the band Unquiet Grave, which was my first band really that I was in. And did you, is that, did you sing in the band? Yeah, I sang. Yeah, that was Ace. That was one of the favourite bands I've ever done, actually. Nice. Still look back at that and think, yeah, that was that was sick. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we only ever released a demo, but um, it was it was a vegan straight edge band for sure, and it was very short lived because our guitarist moved to uh, Cleveland. Okay. Um, but it was it was great and it was really really nice to you know there weren't many women in bands back then and it was really really nice to see people's reactions to me singing like a crazy lunatic you know yeah. absolutely brilliant like people weren't expecting it's like oh you look so gentle and like, <laughs> and like you know kind of mental looking banshee screaming it was ace yeah, loved yeah. it and it wasn't what people were expecting, but, you know, it was what I was into. And I've always been into that kind of metal. Yeah, um, so it like, made sense with what you what Yeah, you and the political element to it. And, you know, the lyrics were very very kind of politicised and very kind of angrily vegan. So it's quite a good amalgamation of parts of your identity that you took yeah. on yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then that's when I realised, actually, it's fucking ace being a woman in a band. yeah. And I want to do it more. So I yeah. think that's when I realised, yes, I want to do some more bands. Nice. Was that um, was that the band that got um, Airplay on Channel 4? It was indeed on Come Down With Me. <laughs> Hell yeah. Where they were like, oh, she sounds like a bloke. Is um, that what they say on it? I was like, hell yeah, I fucking do. Yeah, it was great. Um, but yeah, it was like a kind of funny thing because they kind of realised I was in a band and then they'd already set up the little... The music so that when they went into the room or you could you could press play and yeah could hear it all kind of thing so it was it was quite funny really that they put that on yeah 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 but that was good and we we got a lot of positive kind of feedback from that a lot of people were really into it like just like people searched out what yeah you're doing from yeah the with me because was it was it to do with like the activism that they asked yeah a lot of vegans were like super interested in that but i think it was more so not necessarily from come down with me that we got a kind of positive response to that i think people because um nick who was the bassist oh, okay in the band yeah yeah he's he's been in a load of like um 
vegan straight edge bands in the past and there's a bit of a kind of bit of a face bit of a face like you know from the past like used to run record labels and put out zines yeah. and just constant on it with in terms of like doing amazing stuff so people really liked it because you know they could like listen to nick's next project kind of thing and that was yeah. nice yeah um, like you would have at 16 being like oh this person doesn't yeah band. yeah yeah exactly so Nick, I think, was like a really good face for that band, and, and you know, he's just a rad, rad guy anyway. Um, and then, you know, Simon was in Army of Flying Robots before oh, that, okay. so it was quite a. And obviously, Ollie was in The Legacy, <laughs> which always makes me laugh. But yeah, um, yeah, it was quite a nice mix of, of people. Um, and they'd all been in other bands, so it was quite good for me because I could kind of learn from them, you know. Yeah, yeah, and they were really. Was it comfortable for yeah, you? Yeah, well? super, super comfortable. Yeah. Really easy. Amazing. Yeah, really cool. That's I love cool. That, band. that it really gave you. Yeah, platforming yourself to be like, right, this is what I'm gonna yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, defo. Um, and yeah. you know, my my love for that kind of music has never really gone. Like, um, so reunions on the on the cards. Reunion on the cards. That'd be ace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be ace. Our five songs shall be revealed again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Like Sheffield was probably. I didn't feel um, that kind of feeling of warmth and openness in Manchester as I felt in Man in Sheffield. Yeah, I feel like Sheffield's a really welcoming city, really supportive. And things can happen really quickly and easily in Sheffield, whereas I thought Manchester was a real, real slog to get anything done. Yeah. yeah. Probably because it's so big. Well, uh, the city in general, yeah. for me, like who hasn't lived there, feels yeah. culturally very different to it is, any it other is. northern city I've been to. And I think, yeah, defo. And Sheffield's just really welcoming, I think. If it wasn't for Sheffield, I probably wouldn't have felt, felt confident to do yeah, a lot of the stuff yeah. that I've done. And to kind of find other people that are so willing to do stuff as well, especially a lot of really rad women yeah. who are just doing awesome stuff. Yeah, amazing. Mm. And then, um, yeah, so I guess like after, so when, what, um, did you carry on doing bands after that stopped? Or Yeah, yeah, kind of on and off I was doing bands. So I'd do, um, so you know how you kind of like get into little wormholes of kind of music that you're into. So um, well, after that, maybe it might have been a year or two after, I did this other band called Grey Lepers for a little while. Okay. And that was quite fun. That was like more kind of garagey. Um, and that was just quite simple, kind of bass, drums and keyboards. And were you playing the keyboards? I was playing the keys, yeah. And the drummer was singing. That was quite nice, but we never recorded anything. And then just had a few other little bands, really, that were kind of noodling along, just yeah. for the fun of it. Again, thinking it's important to constantly be doing something that gets your creative juices flowing. Then the, ended up doing The Repossessed with Claire and Lauren and uh, Leah. So that was the first kind of girl band <laughs> I'd been in, I guess, um, which was nice. It was a nice change, and I kind of decided since then, I just want to be in bands with girls. Yeah, yeah, so was Repossess an active, right, let's start a band with us girls, or, or is that I think it, it wasn't necessarily... Yeah, it was a, actually, me and Claire, we probably did say, let's find some lasses that want to do some stuff. Yeah. And Lauren had been in bands like Pudge and things like that before. Yeah. Leah had done some various crusty kind of uh, bands. So So it worked out kind so of So it worked out really, really well. Claire hadn't played guitar before. 
So that was nice that she'd picked that up and was yeah. like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a go. And so that's when I, I was singing in Repossessed. And that was quite fun, you know. We got quite a few gigs and we got yeah, to go on quite a few out, tours and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we got a little seven inch out, which was nice. And must have, must have been going for about a year and a half or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, you know, show chef. Chef feels so to positive. Sing in Welsh in that. Did you? Yeah, yeah, did yeah. Was that yeah, nice? Yeah. That was really nice, and that that comes again later on, which I'm sure we'll go into. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, still, still so nice to have like so many women in Sheffield that were like well keen to do stuff. Yeah, yeah, because um, um, soon after, or maybe at the same time, um, Nak Texan came around, right? Yeah, so towards the end of the Repossessed, Nak Texan came around, based around my love of the synthesizer, which kind of became a bit of an obsession of mine um since since i was doing gray lepers because i got this keyboard and then from then on it kind of went from there that i wanted more and more kind of electronic sounds um i guess based on bands like suicide and things like that i'd kind of got into that but i know it's hard to replicate a suicide type sound (laughs) and but i quite liked that kind of mixture of electronic kind of you know punk i guess yeah yeah um which and I don't know if you've listened to like um, other bands like um, oh, what's his name now? Oh, it'll come back to me. But there was um, quite quite a few songs that I was listening to at the time, which I was like, "Oh, this sounds really interesting." And I like the fact that electronic music is really easy to make. Okay, yeah. And that actually, I didn't have to be a really really good musician to be able to make music with electronic stuff. So it meant that I could do the most simple riffs. And I, I can't play piano or, or anything like that, but you can just play super, super simple stuff, just make it sound really good. Yeah. And I think that's why I think the synthesizer is one of the most kind of like amazing instruments because you can just make it sound rad. Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, it's Digital Leather. Sorry, I forgot the name of that band. But yeah, Digital Leather were like really, really kind of a big influence in terms of, yeah, that sounds really awesome. And then Nachtexen was like a perfect organic thing because Olga had started to play drums and she'd got amazing at drums super quick. Fiona had been playing in bands and chef in like amorous dialogues and stuff. She played bass really, really well. And the three of us got together for a jam and it just kind of, came together really really easily and we were like oh what vocals do we want then Emma Thacker the little legend Emma Thacker is just came for a practice and yeah it sounded great yeah. exactly what we wanted to do and I loved how Emma brought that kind of anxiety that she feels to the band in terms of the lyrics and stuff because I think it really hammered home with a lot of people at that time so yeah very simple songs in Nachtex and just I think the yeah. vocals the simplicity of the vocals just made made kind of some people really identify with that music. Um, and then we were really lucky to be able to ask to go on tour with Sleaford Mods and things like that. Yeah. So it was ace. Yeah, yeah, because, um, yeah, I mean, because Sleaford Mods was a bit, um, like, further on, wasn't it? Because you did yeah. quite a lot before then as well. We did, you? we UK, did a lot Europe. before that. Yeah, we did. We went with Snob. Um um, around Europe that was amazing one of the best experiences 
uh, being able to just meet so many amazing people and women and just kind of getting to know the DIY punk scene of the of of Europe really really well yeah. and how incredible it was really and just being able to experience something like that with your friends yeah. which was really cool um, and I guess touring is something that I'd done minimally before but I'd never really done it abroad yeah yeah so that was a really good experience and one which kind of made Nachtex and realize that people really liked us because the response we had on that first tour was absolutely insane yeah <laughs> you know yeah. we kind of got a really big fan base from that well big for us you know yeah, big yeah. more for, than you expected yeah much more than what we expected and kind of that synth punk thing i think people really enjoyed because we were quite dancey so i think people quite liked the fact that we were dancey but also quite lyrically quite sparse yeah okay and that seemed to work yeah 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 which is amazing really because i guess like when that when you like wrote those songs because that's how you wrote the songs mm. because of you know the influences and like the four of you coming from different places and going yeah. to, but you write those songs and then you like go and play them in you know mm. cities that you never thought that you'd play music yeah and people are responding to that and you're like oh mm. i guess maybe this is why they're responding to it and you're like i guess you get to dissect and like the music that you've made in a way that you wouldn't otherwise mm -hmm. and the songs kind of take on a, take on a different like life because of mm -hmm. the way that other people react to them as well yeah definitely i think like it was quite nice hearing people's ways that they took emma's lyrics and were just saying it's basically like the inside of my head wow like yeah, yeah. a lot of people would say that especially about cheer up love and yeah. those kind of songs which were like, you know, ring, ring, about how anxious you feel when things like that happen, you know, catcalling or whatever it might be, and kind of the effect that has on people. And a lot of people said, yeah, totally, totally get it, <laughs> which was nice. Yeah. And a lot of people wanted to... It was nice because a lot of people were saying, we want to do a band like Nachtex and we want to do something that sounds like that. So I feel like it did kind of strike a chord with a lot of people, and I think it was probably quite important music for some people at the time yeah and um, i think that emma's like artwork is great for that yeah because like, obviously i feel like like her lyrics in that texan are an extension yeah. of you know like sort and a lot of her art yeah like the yeah. artwork and and how like amazing and um it is and it's like so honest isn't it yeah you know? very very honest and very real and that's why people like really it strikes a chord like you say because Defo. that's what honesty is mm. what does more than anything else yeah exactly and i think i think you know nachtexin was something that is super important or was super important to us at the time you know because making music that was all women was also something that was really important to us because i think making a statement like that even though it sounds like an insignificant one but if it's all women in a band making music, then I think, you know, I think I think it, that in itself is a statement. Yeah. Um, and I think we were all quite keen to make sure that it was all women and, yeah. and that kind of thing. But it didn't prepare us for, I guess, the misogyny of the kind of 
thing that we experienced while we were on the tour. With Sleaford Mods? Yeah. Okay. Um, Sleaford Mods were great. They were not at all misogynist. Um, The issue we had was a lot of the fans um, just kind of openly telling you after the gig which one of you they fancied the most and which one of you they'd like to shag the most and which one, you know, they'd like to take home or whatever it would be or kind of wanting to explain to you, you know, oh, I don't know why you've played that like that or whatever, you know, the typical kind of stuff that you get mansplained to you. But it was more kind of, yeah, just the horrible conversations we'd have to bat off at the end of the night. Um, And especially because, you know, we were doing our own merch and everything like that. It was pretty, pretty disgusting and stuff that I'm sure that a lot of men in bands wouldn't have had to deal with. Um, so much so that, you know, one one of our members one night was, you know, she she was drinking a drink and was kind of bending down to get a drink every, every few minutes because it's thirsty work while you're up there. Yeah. And was just told at the end of the night by the guy, oh, our favourite part was when you kept on bending over, we could just see your knickers all night. That was, you know, oh, we were all saying, oh, when's she going to do that again kind of thing, you know, and you're just like, you're absolutely kidding me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like, yeah. oh, yeah, our favourite bit was that, you know, kind of really thinking that someone would want to hear that and also making a point of telling that person yeah. at the end of the night yeah. was quite a shock to us. So it was like, that was hard. And I think we'd underestimated how hard touring for such a long period of time would be as well, because it's really tiring. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Sleaford Mods, they do it full time. So the time that we they weren't on tour, they were at home having days off, whereas the four of us were having to fit our days of work in between. Yeah. So I was still doing supply teaching. The others were doing their jobs. So it was kind of sometimes you'd go without a day off, you know, for for, for yeah. a few weeks. So it was quite heavy going, but it was really, really fun. And, but hard work as well and tiring. Yeah, it sounds taxing. Yeah. I mean, if you had all like all the time in the world during mm. the days to yourself, I mean, yeah. those experiences are Well, yeah, at, and especially like, taxing. I don't think I could be with, you know, three better women yeah. than those three. But at the same time, when you're, together for such long periods of time it can get quite stressful and sometimes you just want your own space yeah naturally um yeah. so that was quite tough that was something i found quite difficult so it had did kind of make me review my my kind of did i want a band that was touring so much and actually i decided no i probably didn't yeah um because mentally it's exhausting physically it's exhausting and when you're driving as well, which I was, it was like I didn't really get any downtime before or after the shows as well. Yeah. And when you play into like, you know, our first gig was at um, in London. Oh, Brixton Academy. At Brixton Academy. 5,000 people there, isn't yeah, there? Yeah. That, that's really physically and mentally draining because you're having to do quite a lengthy sound check and get all your gear and stuff in and... But it's more kind of thinking, God, our first gig and we're having to play to all these people and you're just absolutely shitting it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that was, it was kind of getting used to such massive gigs as well, I guess. Yeah. Which was hard. Yeah. Do you think that that's, um, 
one of the reasons why maybe the band came to an end. It was just maybe yeah. I think most I think mostly it was kind of my finding it difficult to tour, and also, I mean, being a teacher is hard too because that's also a job that's it's not an easy job to kind of put to one side at the end of the day. And we were playing a lot of gigs still after we came back from the tour. And I think I just got really tired. Yeah. I think I was really exhausted. And I feel like I was just like, I just didn't want to gig for a while. Yeah. Um. Kind of got a bit, you know, also it's like, even though DIY is very, very important to me, sometimes when you keep on playing the same venues over and over again, not because I don't like the venues or anything, it's more just because, God, you just feel like you're doing the same thing every weekend. And I think I, I wanted a bit more variety and it's really hard to do that when you're a punk band, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, something that I really value is the DIY punk scene. But I was also kind of a bit tired of, of playing the same gigs. And that was no criticism of Nachtexten or anyone else. It was just me being physically tired. Okay. Yeah. And actually... I think Nachtexen was like one of the most important things I've ever done in my life in terms of music and stuff, and I absolutely loved it. But yeah, it kind of made me realise, God, we went, we did a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we did yeah. so much, which is incredible. But yeah, at the same time, I was exhausted by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, how was it um, wrapping up with the last show? Oh, the last show was amazing. Like it couldn't have been any better. Um, yeah. So we rented out the picture house, um, the Aberdale picture house. Yeah, in which Sheffield. is a beautiful venue. Yeah, in Sheffield, it's a really pretty old cinema um, and theatre, and it was absolutely rammed. Uh, I can't remember how many people came. Maybe about three hundred, something yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, we had all our favourite bands playing. <coughs> we made sure we had that. And we had loads of our friends there. We dressed up and carried on our tradition of dressing up for our yeah. gigs. We had our tuxedos on, especially as a, to mark the occasion. I think it went so well. Um, and then we had just for laughs making the food as well, which was awesome. Yeah. Check them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. So, yeah, yeah it, it's nice that, um, you know, after, like you said, it was yeah. like a lot, a lot of, attack, like, the band had done a lot yeah. to, to finish on such a high. Defo finished on a high and we've still got loads of fans who, you know, who really like us. And um, we made we made a lot of friends along the tour and along the way and it was nice to see some of those faces there. And Yeah. And, yeah, even though I think I felt a little bit guilty about the fact that the band had come to an end, I think it actually came at the right time for us because, you know, Olga moved away, Emma moved away... Yeah. Fiona's having a baby. Uh, so it's all kind of... Yeah, it would have had to yeah, have changed. Yeah, it would have changed. Would have changed. It would have changed a lot. And even though it was a really hard decision to make at the time, I think maybe it was the right choice and we definitely finished on a high, which was awesome. But it hasn't meant that I don't want to do any more music anymore because I'm now doing another band. Yeah. Um, I do really like looking at my musical history sometimes because I realise, oh, God, yeah, I do change my taste quite a lot, which is awesome because it means that I get new creative bursts. Okay. So it means like, okay, now, you know, uh, it means that kind of my shift in kind of music tastes a little bit or kind of a change, you know, you know how you change with time anyway and you kind of... Get into one thing, you think, okay, I've kind of exhausted that all that. I've looked into yeah. all that. I'm going to try looking into this now. And I think 
that is something about me. I do kind of like to try lots of different music genres and play around with them a lot. Yeah. So there was a time when I was doing a lot of like more electronic kind of synthy stuff, like darker synthy stuff, like John Carpenter type stuff with my friend Justin. Okay. Playing around with that. But then now I'm doing a band called Sister Wives with three other awesome women. And that's very much kind of like more kind of, it's very, it's dark, it's quite atmospheric, it's quite build-up-y, it's kind of a little bit proggy in parts, it's quite repetitive, um, a lot of kind of, um, I've got Rick Wakeman set up, which I'm super happy with, with loads of synths and organs and stuff, for theremin, yeah. vocal effects. It's very different to Nachtexen because it's much more kind of layered in terms of music. Nachtexen, okay. our kind of aim was to make it as kind of straight up and kind of really... yeah. Sparse and minimal. Sparse and minimal and kind of like punchy and obvious about what we were singing about, yeah. which I think is, is great. But Sister Wives is different because it's like we're trying to work out a sound that works for us and we've taken a very, very long time, over a year and a half nearly. Is it? Yeah, yeah about a year and a half. We've taken about a year and a half to get to the stage we're at now to be able to play gigs. Mm. So we've been playing a long time together, but we didn't want to rush into it. And it's not the kind of band that was going to be gigging all the time. We're going to be very kind of, selective's not the right word, but very kind of, we'll really, really think about what we want to play and not just play everything because we haven't got the time. Um, Because we don't get to practice as much as we'd like anyway, but there's some... I think it's it's really exciting the sound that we're creating. Train and you start. Yeah, what if? What if? Oh no! (laughs) This is a thing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's that's exciting. So Mm. so you've played at this point. We've played one gig. Okay. And it went well. People seem to really like us. We do. We have a costume that we wear um, for our gigs, and they're meant to replicate the. Uh, Mormon undergarments, okay. which we have actually made into our own personal ones because the sister wives are essentially for women who have escaped from the polyamorous relationships or, or polygamous relationships of the Mormon community. Yeah. So that's who we are. So is that... Um, <laughs> are, the, are, the, are the songs based... Is it a concept? Every, um, it's it, a little bit. There's some Welsh songs. The songs are kind of... They've, they're not all about that. It's not a super concept album, but some of the themes are kind of linked around it. Like um, one of the songs is called On the Prowl and it's about kind of, kind of you know, these kind of, you could imagine it's these kind of polygamous men looking for their next young wife that they could take on. Um, I sing a lot about the religious elements, but kind of from a more earthy perspective. So... Perhaps maybe that someone that's reclaimed spirituality from kind of what it was before, perhaps. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite interesting. It's nice to sing in Welsh, um, and yeah, I think it's an interesting sound. I'm looking forward to seeing what people think about it. Yeah, we'd be recording soon. Do you think? Yeah, we're going to be recording soon. Um, so hopefully, we'll put something out. Nice. Um, but yeah, also we all sing, so like kind of a lot of layered vocals. Um, and 
yeah, wiggy guitars. So Sweet. I think it should be interesting. Yeah, sounds good fun. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, I guess um, we'll probably start, start uh, gets us to a good present point. Yeah. But yeah, um, what's, what's, the, what's the future hold now, do you think? Uh, or are you just taking it as more, it comes? More with Sister Wise, for sure. Yeah. I'd like her to do a bit more writing. And I want to continue with, yeah, carrying on with school, carrying on with that new job. Carrying on as well, I kind of mentioned the folk thing before, but um, in the past, definitely I've been doing a lot of folk sessions and singing in folk sessions and going to folk clubs and things like that, singing in Welsh a lot. I want to carry on with that a lot more. Um, Have you always spoken Welsh? Mm, yeah, first language. So singing the Welsh traditional songs is quite important to me. Yeah. Um, keeping the Welsh folk movement um, alive in my own head is something that's quite important to me. Um, Did you discover... Because um, there's some like pretty cool Welsh... Um, uh, punk bands aren't yeah. they yeah loads of really good 80s ones was that a bit later weirdly on? Um, I did discover them early on but mostly because of my dad okay um, he told me about them so there's a band called Antrevan who um, basically means anarchy in Welsh and they're amazing and my dad told me about them quite early on and like there's a few other quite good Welsh punk bands as well who were awesome who dad told me about Um but yeah, there's really, really good Welsh like folk and psych folk and stuff as well yeah. that came out of Wales in the sixties and seventies, which is kind of where my 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 Your heart lies right. My now. heart lies and my music obsession is with now. So you know how I told you how I kind of shift in terms yeah. of musical obsession. Now it's kind of being a bit geeky about finding all the kind of psych folk and nice. uh folk uh, folk revivals of the kind of 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, like Mike Stevens, for example, is really, really, really amazing. And I think I think for me, folk and punk are very much hand in hand because of their kind of political element and kind of how passionate they are about politics and things like that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, so hopefully... Uh, There'll be a folk record out. Yeah, folk sometime. record. <laughs> but yeah, cool. Um, I guess we'll we'll call it there. So yeah. thank you. Oh, thank you. It's yeah. been awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Cheers, babe. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, as I said earlier, this is all edited and mixed by Liam. Find him at Liam C Audio. Um, the artwork's always kind of um, edited down by uh, my good friend Stephen. Um, find him at stephenhillgraphics.com, something like that. Google him, you'll find him. This song is called Cheer Up Love. It's by Nat Texan. We talked about it a bit in the uh, conversation. Hope you enjoy it, and I'll catch you soon. Peace. Cheer up.